what the Bible says about life after death and what lies ahead. We continue the hereafter series now. Um, if I was to take a, if any of us were to take a time machine back to the 1700s, imagine that, that you could do that. And we went back in time and we met with these people in old-timey times and their old-timey time outfits and with their carriages and everything, whatever they were doing back then, um, wearing their top hats and saying, cheerio, I don't know. <laughs> Just use your imagination. Um, and you were to go to them and say, in the future, it will be possible to speak to people on the other side of the world and to hold in your hand a moving image of their very face as they speak to you. And that all of the information and knowledge of the world will be available to you in your pocket at any moment. How would they even begin to imagine what, what I'm talking about? How would they even begin to put, wrap their brain around how that would work, how that could be possible? It would be for those people beyond imagination, I think. And I want to begin this morning as we prepare to see what the Bible says about, particularly about heaven, that truly it will be beyond imagination. As we approach the scriptures, we catch a glimpse of what it will be like, but to try to frame it using the limits of the English language and the limits of the human brain uh, is certainly going to fall short of the reality. Heaven will be better than you could have imagined or ever hoped for. Heaven is beyond your wildest dreams. That's the name of the, the sermon this morning, beyond your wildest dreams. We really can't even fully begin to fathom, to truly comprehend what heaven will be like. But we're going to try this morning. Let's back up for a second and give you a few reminders of some things from previous messages that we've talked about uh, this. The Bible teaches that when you die, that your body and your soul are separated. And if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that your soul goes to heaven to be with the Lord. Paul writes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's good news. If you're not a believer, your soul goes to a place called Hades. Both the present heaven and Hades are temporary locations where souls await for the resurrection of the dead that will happen when Jesus comes back to the earth someday in the future. When Jesus returns, there will be a resurrection and there will be a judgment. And then we will enter our final states. For those who rejected Jesus, the ones who are currently in Hades, they will enter Gehenna. So that's a little background. Remind us where we're getting to now. So today we're going to talk about that final heaven, that new heaven and new earth. And our main text this morning is Revelation chapter 21. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's uh, at the very back. <laughs> In the Bible reading plan, if you're doing that with the church, we are reading the book of Revelation currently, and we will be finishing the book of Revelation this week. So the timing, which is entirely God's doing, not my own, um, is lining up so perfectly with what we're reading in the Bible reading plan. Um, 
If you're reading the book of Revelation, you are probably well aware that it's very weird. (laughs) And it's very challenging to understand. If you didn't listen to the podcast that I recorded with Danny Zacharias about that, I encourage you to go and give it a listen because it will be very helpful to you, I think, to try to make sense of how to understand the book correctly. A little bit of background. The book of Revelation was written by John the Apostle on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. He was in exile. Uh, He was exiled by the Romans to Patmos because of his faith in Christ. And so he was basically living there imprisoned. Um, And he receives a vision from the Lord while he's there. And he writes it down in the form of a letter to, to be distributed to a number of churches in Asia Minor at that time. The book is written as an unveiling of heavenly realities, a sort of lifting of the curtain, which describes through a series of symbols and images what is going on behind the scenes spiritually in the midst of the church's suffering and persecution. It's meant to encourage believers to stay strong in their faith, to stay the course, despite an overwhelming number of pressures. It's, in, it's meant to encourage the church to hold on to Jesus because in the end, he wins. And Jesus reigns. At the end of the book, in these last two chapters that we're going to look at this morning, 21 and 22, the focus shifts toward the future. And John describes heaven. And he uses vivid imagery and symbolism to paint for us a picture that gives us a sense, a glimpse of what heaven will be like. So let's start now into Revelation 21, and we're just going to read the first five verses. So John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I shouted it because it says it was a loud shout can't read it like, there will be no more crying or pain. No, it says there's a loud shout. (laughs) And the one sitting on the throne said, look, this is Jesus. I am making everything new. We'll stop there. So the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, or some translations say had passed away. And Jesus says, I am making everything new. We should be thinking about this new heaven and new earth Uh, as new in the sense of renewed or resurrected. Uh, In in a previous message, when we talked about our bodily resurrection that will happen at the end when Christ returns, we talked about how our physical bodies in this age pass away, go to the grave, but then will be raised again and transformed. The same body, right? We will not be recreated, we will be resurrected. And this is the idea with the new earth as well. It's a restoration of the existing broken creation. So when, when John says the old earth had passed away, he means that the old earth as I knew it had passed away. 
God's not going to recreate the earth. He's going to resurrect the planet in the same way that he resurrects our bodies. It will literally be heaven on earth. I decided to name this uh, sermon series Hereafter uh, when Queen Elizabeth died. I had the series mapped out in my head, kind of, it was percolating, um, but I didn't have the title for the series yet. And then I was listening to some coverage of the Queen's passing from the BBC or something, and and a British reporter was speaking of Her Majesty's strong and sincere beliefs concerning the hereafter. And I thought, oh, I love that word. That's the word, hereafter. Um, it's so good. And I, the reason I liked it, the hereafter. Jenny, you should, you should say it for us. Hereafter. Hereafter. Thank you. We should, get, we should have a, Derek and Jenny have a, like a British speak off and see who can say it better. Anyway. Um, Uh, I thought that's the perfect word because it kind of has a double meaning, right? Not only does it mean the afterlife, like that's what it typically means, or the the great hereafter, the sweet hereafter, what the the life to come after death, Um, but it's also a compound word, hereafter. And for me, I thought, oh, that's good because it emphasizes that after all that has been said and done, after Jesus comes back, we will be where? Here. We will be here after. Um, and so that's why I named the series Hereafter. We will be here after, where all things are made new. So what will this hereafter be like? What will this renewed earth be like? And that's what I want us to look at specifically today. Three main points, a good three-point sermon, because I'm a Baptist preacher, and that's what they teach in seminary. The new heaven and the new earth will be a place of Perfect peace. Next slide, please. Perfect peace, total holiness, and absolute beauty, including, by the way, natural beauty, nature. Let's look at the first one, that the new earth will be a place of perfect peace. If you notice in verse 1 that we just read, um, not only did he say that the, the old earth and the old heaven had passed away, but he said the sea was also gone. Did you notice that? The sea was also gone. What's up with that? Does that mean that there will be no ocean or sea in heaven? I don't think so. Again, the book of Revelation is symbolism. It's symbolism. It's imagery. It's all, it's not really, I wouldn't say there's much in Revelation that should be taken literally. That's my take on it. It's all almost entirely symbolism. Um, And so it's literal in the sense of the truth behind what the symbols mean. Um, Uh, You have to understand that the Jewish people were not a seafaring people. They didn't venture out onto the Mediterranean Sea much. The biggest body of water that they dealt with on a regular basis was the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake. Um, And even that, they were terrified, you know, when storms came up and whatnot. Uh, The sea for the Jewish people was a sign of chaos and terror. Uh, In fact, earlier in Revelation, John symbolically writes about the beast, the satanic enemy emerging from the sea, because of course, that's where evil things come from, the sea. Uh, In John's vision, now in Revelation at the end, the sea is removed from the new earth. And what he's getting at there is that heaven will be free from anything perilous, unpredictable, or tumultuous. There is nothing left to fear. The new heaven on earth 
will be characterized by peace, perfect peace, shalom. Let me read verse 4 uh, again, where he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. All the bad stuff we experience in this life, death and loss and pain and suffering, violence, it will all be gone forever. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in the Old Testament, in in Isaiah. And Isaiah also describes a future heavenly reality where war and conflict and violence will all be a thing of the past. He says in Isaiah 2, verse 4, the Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares. I love that verse so much. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Amen. Ain't gonna study war no more. You know that one? Ain't gonna study war no more. Gonna lay down my sword and shield. Way down. (laughs) Down by the riverside. Okay, I could keep going, but clearly I'm uh, flying solo here. Anyway, ain't going to study war no more. No, man, perfect peace. War and violence and conflict will be a thing of the past. Heaven will be a place of perfect peace. All right, point two will be a place of total holiness. On earth, there's going to be this city, which John calls the New Jerusalem. He says in verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. As we read in verse 3, God, uh, God, this city will be holy because God will be there in all of his fullness. And I think that's actually going to be the best part of heaven, the intensity of the presence of God. Later in this chapter, John gives the dimensions of this city. But the shape is also really important. Its shape is a gigantic cube. If you were to read the dimensions, it's like it's this way, and it's this way, and it's this way, and it's all the same dimensions. It's a great big cube. I used to watch a TV show when I was growing up in the 90s called Reboot, an animated TV show. Any Reboot fans? We got a few Reboot fans. Okay, this, well, on the show Reboot, it was like the first computer animated TV show, and it was, on, it was Canadian on YTV, and, uh, and there was this, they were, they were basically like inside a computer. They were like bits and pieces of computer, and a game would come in. Oh, there's a user that's going to play a game, and it was this giant cube that would come into mainframe, and then they would go into the game and play the game. Anyway, I'm really nerding out here at this point, but... <laughs> Um, anyway, that's kind of how I picture it in my head. There's this giant cube that comes down onto the earth. Um, anyway, the fact that it's a cube is really important. Um, um, there was another famous building in Judaism that has a cube inside of it. Do you know what building I'm talking about? The temple. Yes, I knew Norm would know. Um, here's a diagram of, of Solomon's temple. This was the last temple that... Uh, 
uh, that before it was destroyed in 70 AD, and there hasn't been a temple built there since. But this was the temple that was there in Jesus' time, Solomon's temple. Uh, or actually, no, Herod's temple was in Jesus' time. I'm getting confused. Solomon's temple was the first one. This is one of them. I can't remember. I think this is Solomon's. <laughs> anyway, forget what I just said. This is not the one that was there in Jesus' time. I think this is the one that was there before. Doesn't matter. The point is, on the inside of the temple, in the inter- innermost part, is what was called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, with these golden statues, cherubim, on the top. And, and that's where the Ten Commandments were, and inside this box. And above the Ark of the Covenant is where the Shekinah glory of God was. This was the place where the Spirit of God was most concentrated on the earth. This is where God's holiness was in all of its fullness. This is the closest you could get on this planet to being in the presence of God. And this room, this most holy place, was shaped as a cube, a perfect cube. So when John sees the, in his vision the new Jerusalem, and it's this massive city that's shaped as a cube, that is clearly a symbol that is pointing to the holy of holies, to the most holy place, and telling us that this entire city where God's presence will be completely filling every inch and every corner, this whole city is the new most holy place. Isn't that cool? Let's keep going now. Verse uh, 22 of chapter 21. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. What's this about the city gates never shutting and there being no night? Well, again, think about what city gates uh, were for in the, the ancient world. During the daytime, city gates were open so people could come and go and trade and do business. But at nighttime, the gates would be closed and guarded because at nighttime was when enemy intruders would come. So cities were sealed up at night to disallow the entrance of unwanted people. But in the new city, there's no need to close the city gates. People are coming and going as they please endlessly with no, with no interruption. Just like there's no sea, meaning there's no more chaos and conflict, no more turmoil. Uh, there's no night meaning there's no more enemies, there's no more fear, there's nothing to worry about. There will never be any more threat of enemies on this new earth. Only followers of Christ will live on the new earth, those who've been redeemed, resurrected, and perfected by Jesus. So there's no need to close the city gates. It's as if there's no nighttime at all, no threat, no danger. People can come and go as they please with no worry of anything evil or unclean, Entering the city. Verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's because, of course, everyone else is gone. 
verse 8, if we go backwards. Cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's what we talked about last week. So the curse of sin has been lifted. The presence of sin completely removed. This incredible city and all the earth then filled with the glory of God will be utterly holy. So heaven will be characterized by perfect peace and by total holiness and finally by absolute beauty. In verse 2 it says... I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. A bride adorned for her husband. I'll never forget the moment on my wedding day when I saw Julia round the bend of the church with her father. Here's some pictures of it. There we are. I didn't tell Julia I was going to show that. This is the exact moment when my eyes caught her for the first time. Whoo, baby, look at my hair. Oh, sorry. That's right. It's about the bride, beautifully dressed, adorned for her husband. <laughs> she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. She still is. Brownie points. Or maybe the opposite for showing the picture without permission. This city, I would say, the entire earth, in fact, is going to be absolutely stunning in its beauty. You can go off that picture. Like a bride adorned for her husband. That's the way the Bible describes it. The best words John could come up with to describe what he was seeing in his vision uh, were the most beautiful and precious elements known to mankind at that time. We can read that in verses 18 to 21, and I am going to read it. As I read this, let your imagination picture what it might look like. So again, John is seeing something in this vision, and this is what he says. He says, The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones, the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass." Now, there's obviously a lot of symbolism in this description. The number 12 is a very symbolic number, 12 tribes of Israel and 12 disciples and so on. So it's, again, it's hard to know what is being literally described here. Is it going to be literally a street of gold? I don't know. Um, but there are some, uh, but I think what, is, what we're seeing here is that John, after seeing all that he has seen in this vision, he's trying his best to write down in, in words something he couldn't fully describe. He's like, and the walls, oh, the, the walls, man, they were, they were like, 
They were like jasper, and yet they were like gold, and yet they were like clear as glass. And, and, and the colors, all oh, the colors were so rich and so beautiful. It was like amethyst, and, and, and oh, it was like a collection of the rarest gems. Oh, yes, yes, that's the best way I can describe it. It's like it was his mind was blown as he saw this. Um, uh, there's a book called The 21 Most Amazing Truths About Heaven. I think we have it in our library. Um, by Dave Early, he says, the new Jerusalem was described by John as undoubtedly the most stunning city anyone has ever seen. Rising majestically on a lofty mountain, it will radiate in the golden glow of the glory of God. Color and light will commingle to create an awesome, inspiring, delightful feast for the eyes. Every color of the rainbow will be stretched, massaged, and empowered to levels man has never witnessed. Using a palette of pure gold, clear crystal, and precious stones, Jesus will paint his city into a massive masterpiece. Amen. I love that. Beautiful. It will also be ecologically beautiful, environmentally beautiful. The new heaven and the new earth is a natural green oasis, paradise. Uh, Folks wonder, will there be animals in heaven? And I am sure of it. I think, yes, there will be. I'm not saying that your old cat Fluffy or your old dog Rusty will be there. Maybe. Some people say, yeah, sure, but I don't know. Uh, But it makes perfect sense to me that there will be animals. Think about it. When God created the earth, He filled it with living things, and he called it good. And if the new heaven will be a sort of restoration of God's original blueprint of the planet, then why wouldn't there be animals, these good and wonderful things that God created? Yes, I believe there will be animals, um, but not only that, the animals that were previously dangerous will not be dangerous anymore. And we can read that in Isaiah again. Isaiah and Revelation are sort of good parallel books. Isaiah... Uh, says this, in that day, chapter 11, verse 6, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. That's a lovely picture. So if you're an animal lover, good news for you. Animals in heaven. There are other natural elements that we will be able to enjoy in the final heaven as well. You can read about that in Revelation 22, uh, verses 1 and 2. We read about these rivers. You can go to that slide, Janessa, the river of, of life flowing from the throne of God. We read about the tree of life. We've talked about that in a previous message, this absolutely incredible tree. I love that God's design for heaven has a great big tree in the middle. So we have these, in these images a city constructed of materials more beautiful than all of the most precious stones of the earth a world filled with animals, rivers, trees, and I'm sure even more natural wonders than what has been described. There's no question, heaven will be absolutely beautiful, a place of 
perfect peace, total holiness, and absolute beauty. These are just some of the words that we can use to describe heaven based on the teachings of Scripture. Truthfully, we can't begin to describe it with words. It's mind-blowing. And the Apostle Paul even reflects this when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 9. He says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is beyond your wildest dreams. And for those who love him, who love Jesus, it's prepared for you. If you've been born again to a living hope through faith in Jesus Christ, heaven is your inheritance. It is guaranteed for you. Listen to how Peter puts it, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right. Wonderful. So what? I always like to ask that at the end of every sermon. That's nice. That's a nice prize at the bottom of the cereal box, right? So what? Big deal. What does that mean for my life today? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. First of all, obviously, heaven is going to be right good. <laughs> right some good. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Come to Jesus today if you haven't yet. Confess your sin to him. Be saved. Be forgiven. Be set free. Receive eternal life. It's a free gift that he's offering to you, and it can be yours for the low, low price of nothing. Just accept Jesus. Turn your heart to him, and you will be saved. I love that. And it will be yours. If you already are a believer, pray hard and love deeply and share your faith courageously so that you may help others come to know Christ, believe the gospel, and share in this inheritance. And of course, we're always reminded as we think about these things of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In the midst of life struggles, the pain and suffering that we experience, health problems, anxiety, struggles with sin, concerns about the world in which we live, be assured of the hope that lies ahead. It's an old gospel song that says, I've read the back of the book and we win. And it gives us hope, doesn't it, in the midst of the struggles of this life, that in the end, Christ reigns and the world is repaired and all is well. Okay, next week. Next week, what will we do in heaven? What will we do in heaven? Well, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it won't be boring, I can tell you that. 